Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week, it's all about property. In the first part of the show, Marion Finnegan, Chief Economist with Cherry Fitzgerald, and architect Mel Reynolds agree that we have a housing crisis, but they differ on the solution. And are we in bubble territory again? You'll hear their answers in a few minutes. In the second part of the show, Paul Dowling, Chief Executive of Realm Finance, tells us about the launch of his new €200 million Euro fund for commercial property investments. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes, and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash business. But first to the residential housing property crisis. Now, Marion Finnegan, a lot of different statistics around uh, sort of giving us different views of the property market, if you like. Some of them, I think, are, are perhaps a bit uh, contradictory. But anyway, um, I think what they do tell us is that we have a market that is dysfunctional and we also have a market where rising uh, prices are rising and rising sharply. I think we have some stats from My Home and Davy um, this week, which showed that the mixed adjusted asking price for new sales nationally is now €239,000. An increase of €12,000 on the previous quarter. This is for the first three months of this year. And the corresponding figure for Dublin, €347,000. So an increase of Mm €19,000. Something that uh, Pierce Doherty has been raising. Mm -hmm. And he's definitely not a fan of the help to buy scheme, which has uh, given first-time buyers uh, up to €20,000 to buy new build homes. Mm -hmm. So I, think that's your view? The, I think that's the important um, distinction there. We are talking about first-time buyers being given a helping hand to buy mm. new homes. Now, if you look back over the last three years where there was no help-to-buy scheme, the average value of new homes transacted in Dublin and indeed in the rest of the country was growing every year by double-digit figures. This is not something that just happened to the first quarter this year. So help-to-buy has nothing to do with it? it? Well, let's put it to one side. It hasn't really had an impact as of yet because most of those transactions have not taken place as yet. So we're again jumping in because we see a statistic and assuming there's a cause and effect. Help to buy is a long-term plan. The purpose of help to buy is to encourage more first-time buyers to buy, therefore alleviate well, the very... they hardly needed any encouragement. I mean, they were pretty encouraged. Well, they certainly did anyway. need an encouragement because they weren't buying. If they were buying, they would have been the stock of properties being transacted would reflect that. What we saw was a very high volume of people trading up in the marketplace and the average value of property transacting was actually growing by, in some instances, over 20% on an annual basis because we were supplying the market with very high-end properties for a trade-up mm. marketplace because there wasn't enough first-time buyers. We have to remember that in February of 2015, the new macroprudential policy rules which came in 
did have a very stringent impact on first-time buyers, pulled them out of the marketplace. So we had much less first-time buyers than we would normally have. Now, no one's saying that 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 policy was wrong, but it did have an impact. So there was less first-time buyers and therefore the properties transacting were of of more middle end. Pierre Sardi's data that he got from the government shows that something like 74% of the people who've applied for this help to buy scheme actually have a a deposit in excess of 10%. So they're not actually... They, they don't really fall into that or perhaps don't fall into that first time buyer category. OK, I haven't seen his data set, so I can't comment on it. But I, what I would say is that the purpose of this is to get more first time buyers back in the marketplace. Mm. Now, if we had enough first time buyers in the marketplace, we wouldn't have the significant pressures on the rental sector that we've had for the last two years. And now rents are back at peak levels where capital values are still 40 percent below peak levels. So we do have two different marketplaces operating in two different levels because the first time buyers weren't as active as they could have been. We put greater pressure on the rental sector. The stock wasn't there and rents rose very dramatically for the last two or three years. The average value of new homes transacted also grew very dramatically because we were supplying much more expensive properties and the first-time buyers were not active. They're starting to come back into the marketplace, but we're not going to see the full impact of that help-to-buy scheme until the end of this year, the end of next year, arguably. The first three months of this year is not a time frame that you can analyse in any way the impact of that scheme because most people would only heard about it at the end of last year in any great depth. They have to put a plan in place. They have to find a property. So you wouldn't buy support it. Pierce Doherty's call for the help-to-buy scheme to be suspended? That Absolutely. all it's doing is pushing up prices? Absolutely not. There's no, you can't after three months when I would say very, very few people have actually even been through the process. You cannot say now is the time to scrap what was a very, the intention of that scheme is to create construction mm. activity. You, the cost of the scheme in the first three months has exceeded what the government had pencils in for the full year. So there's obviously been huge uh, take up early and, on. And it is a very attractive scheme. But remember, why are we doing it? Last year, we built 15,000 houses. The annual demand is for 36,000 houses. We have a big okay. gap to fill. Well, we're joined here by Mel Reynolds, an architect. I think he might dispute the figure of 15,000 uh, built for, for last year. But in the round, would you agree or disagree with uh, Marion's analysis, uh, Mel? Well, it, it's very, it, you know, it's, it's another perspective and it's very interesting. I think the data... If we look at it from a different perspective, uh, I'm glad that Marion mentioned the uh, first uh, new home transactions from last year, because that's a fundamental indicator of actual activity on the ground. Uh, we all know that the number of completions is nowhere near what the government official figures are because of inaccurate ESB methodology for calculating that. So the government are saying just shy of 15,000, I think, yeah, for, it's, it's for last not, year. What, what do you like reckon that, the real figure is? It's nothing like that. I think the real figure is closer to about six and a half, seven thousand. 7,000. That's actually what the new build, that includes nearly half of that were once off new built houses. And the narrative is that we need twenty five to 30,000 to keep up with demographics and household formations and so on. Do you buy that figure? I do buy that figure and I think the, the new build market is already starting to overheat. Uh, it's the last thing you need to do when you have really a, a exceptionally low levels of output is to start incentivising that particular sector. Why? I think we need to look... Well, we're looking at, at the moment, we're looking at about 6 to 7% uh, construction tender price inflation at the moment. That's going to go into double digits, no question about it. I mean, the number of stamp duty transactions last year for new houses was 3,606. Now, to put the current uh, first-time buyer incentive in context, in the first three months of this year, we had 3,750 applicants. I think half of those are successful for the first-time buyer's um, incentive. So we've, we already ha- are well on the way to approving in three months more applicants than there were new homes sold last year. So Marion is correct about the first-time buyer activity last year, which was 874. So approximately one in 10 first-time buyers bought new houses. Um, certainly logic would suggest that if you're looking to incentivize 
new, you know, first-time buyers to come into the market, you would look at 90% of the market and look at some sort of incentive for second-hand houses as opposed to new build. So as Minister Coveney has said recently... Right, it's, I will come back to her in a moment. Go on. You know, the first-time buyers element is about 2.3% of the market at the moment. If you 47,000 transactions last year. Um, the, the construction sector, th- that 3,600 figure for uh, transactions also includes vacant units that were, they're still owned by the original developer. I did one about two or three years ago, and it's still classified as a new build transaction, even though it's been vacant for two or three years. So the why actual... Is it, why, why has it been vacant for two or three years when we have a housing crisis? Well, it's been mothballed. If you think about it, uh, Frank Daly and NAMA uh, said last year in July in his opening statement to the Arctis Committee that they inherited somewhere in the region of 14,000 vacant units. So we had an awful lot, a huge oversupply in... Um, 0607, which never made it to the market. It's been mothballed. And this is what's inflated completion figures. But well, these are presumably in the wrong places, a uh, place where people well, don't well, want to buy. Well, if you look I, at I places guess. like Central Park and Sandyford, that's got a couple of hundred units there which has been completed. That, that's been mothballed for years. So, you know, there's a but significant... why? I mean, people will ask, I mean, we have a housing crisis, particularly in Dublin. Why do we have a scheme in Sandyford that's mothballed? Well, I presume the, the logic, NAMA's logic, I would assume, is there's no point in selling it in 2013 when prices are on the floor. We'll wait and we'll gradually release these onto the market as right. prices So inflate. do you buy the narrative that there's hoarding going on by property developers, perhaps including NAMA? Well, uh, hoarding in respect of units or land? Well, both. Well, units, I don't think any developer in his right mind would hoard you vacant units. I think that's commercial suicide. Um, certainly, I think in terms of land, the play at the moment is uh, land values because you're seeing that one of the conflicting uh, numbers we're getting is the 15% increase in land value year on year. That's set to continue and primarily driven by the fact that when you look at a typical sales price of a unit, if, if a new house or a new apartment goes up by 10%, the residual land value goes up by 35 So, like, for example, if you were a developer coming into Maine, if you had land, I would say to you, don't bother building anything, just wait do a planning application and do a value That's expensive, add. isn't it? I mean, there's cost of capital here. They've obviously deployed capital on the land. They can't necessarily uh, afford to wait and sit around forever, hoping well, that land values to get get to a certain level. Well, it depends. I mean, if you're if you're a if you're a normal builder looking to fund construction, you're looking at maybe twenty percent mezzanine finance for fifty percent of your build cost. Uh, the mainstream banks won't lend to you unless you have an unencumbered ownership of your site, and it's usually with the, with planning permission. There's something like twenty one separate criteria to fulfil. So if you're talking about land banking, you really have to look at some of the big players here who bought land. They have a wash with cash at mm. very low so interest rates. The institutional investors. Institutional investors. Kennedy, Kennedy Wilson, you're at, if, if, you're, if your money is costing 1% or 2% abroad, you can, you can generate 15% here just by sitting, doing nothing. Right. Marion, you were shaking your head a few moments ago. Just in, 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 in relation to encouraging more first-time buyers in the marketplace, because clearly that's important. If you encourage more first-time buyers into the second-hand marketplace, there's a finite stock all you're going to do there is create price inflation. You're not going to have any other positive net benefit. The purpose of this help to buy scheme, let's just go back to remind ourselves, was developers were not developing enough units. First of all, it wasn't viable to develop initially. And then secondly, the end user demand wasn't there. And part of that end user demand that was absent was first time buyers. Now, investors were also absent and are still absent. And that's a problem for the rental sector. But we, what we should be doing is, OK, what was the purpose of this? And the purpose mm. is to cons- increase construction there was, activity. There was a very interesting debate uh, at the Oireachtas Finance Committee on Tuesday when uh, Governor Philip Lane of the Central Bank 
Bank went before the committee to talk about a variety of issues. One was around the house prices. Mm-hmm. And Kieran O'Donnell of Fine Gael was very strong on this. Um, last last year, last November, you might recall, the Central Bank of Ireland uh, tweaked. It was a minor tweak of its macro prudential rules, lifted the ceiling uh, on the 10% deposit rule mm-hmm. for first-time buyers. Mm-hmm. So now it's 10% on, on whatever the value of the property might be, not just the first 220,000. Uh, and it, it pretty much left everything else the same. Exactly. Um, and... They were under enormous pressure to tweak the rules uh, all of last year in advance of actually doing it. And yesterday, Kieran O'Donnell basically accused them of adding fuel to the fire by uh, by introducing that tweak. And there was no mention from him, perhaps because he's also from Fine Gael and it was Fine Gael that introduced the Help the Buy scheme. No mention of, of him about the uh, Help the Buy scheme and how it might have added some fuel to mm-hmm. the fire. And Governor Lane's view certainly is that the Help the Buy scheme has fueled demand in the short term. Supply hasn't caught up and probably won't for, I don't know, a year, two years, whatever. And that he sees supply as being the, the key issue. And he's absolutely right. Supply is the key issue. So in the relaxation on the macro potential policy rules, they were particularly strengthened in Ireland. If you looked across all of the rest of the world and looked at how macro potential policy were introduced, we had a belt and braces approach. We had both loan to income and loan to value. And on top of the loan to value for first time buyers, we had the 10% um, loan to value ratio set at 220,000. Now, the, the position behind that, if you stood back, you would say perhaps there was a, a view that that you could deliver properties for 270, 280,000 in Dublin or in Ireland, which is incredibly challenging and we're not going to get volumes through at that level. The slight tweak that they made, and it really was just a tweak, because we have to remember they're still only allowing people to borrow three and a half times income. That is a big restraint on capital appreciation. If you can only borrow three and a half times income and income is only growing very moderately, then there is a restraint in terms of the level of capital growth. The the other change that made were allowing first-time buyers to compete in the marketplace on a reasonable loan-to-value ratio, but not certainly adding any great incentive. But when you bring in any new policy, there is going to be a period where the market adjusts. And what we're seeing now is demand is growing before supply can grow. But rest assured, if you look around all of Dublin, and I think if you take a stand back and look at how this market is evolving, we are seeing a much greater level of activity. Our new home sales, just in our company alone this year, are up 60% on last year. Now, you're still talking of less than 500 sales in three months. We're not talking about tens of thousands of sales. But that is an indicator that last year we had an incredibly dysfunctional marketplace. And this year, slightly more activity but we are still suffering from a shortage of product Mel will supplies solve this problem Um, I think you know one of the one of the underlying assumptions of the debate at the moment is that uh, increasing supply will reduce prices okay Uh, that just doesn't happen it hasn't happened in 40 years. What evidence is there to back that up? Well, uh, you, very simply, if you look at data over the last 40 years from the CSO, take all the, the completions for the last, since 1975, sorry, 1970, excuse me, and uh, new home prices in particular for the same period, you see that the relationship is inelastic. You have the same sort of ski jump curve and both lines follow each other, basically up the hill. We all know it. And then you have the acute drop of the cliff on the other side. Um, now, when you plot that in in uh, in a workbook and you see what the correlation is, the correlation is 0.58, which is quite strong. Anything over 0.5 is is strong, but the actual uh, correlation is between prices leading supply by about a year. 
So it looks that in, in 40 years in Ireland, increasing supply has never reduced prices. So increasing what's new what's the supply. solution? Well, the solution here, I think it's, it's sort of fairly obvious. It's back to the numbers of, if you look at first-time buyers, what the solution there is looking at all the houses that first-time buyers are actually buying. You don't concentrate on a small sector of the market, which is, which is albeit it's, it's important to have new supply, obviously, to, to you know, make good the houses we're losing by natural obsolescence. But, you know, we have 198,000 vacant units, according to the CSO in Ireland, which is 100,000 more, <coughs> excuse me, than the normal rate of vacancy. What the CSO don't capture is vacant floors above shops. That isn't captured in their survey. And, for example, one example for that would be, according to the chief planner for Dublin, John O'Hara, he reckons that we have a capacity for 4,000 units in between the canals at the moment within existing buildings. So, you know, we have the capacity here to look at... If, if the process for making vacant floors was easier from a statutory point of view in terms of permissions, which is very easy to do, And they'd be for sale or for rent? For both, for sale or rent, let, make it easier for private owners mm. to convert their upper floors. You're looking at the capacity to take about 10,000 extra people in Dublin City alone. Um, the cost for that, the cost typically, I know Peter McVeary's are doing uh, conversions like that for 20,000, 30,000 a floor. So you're looking at the cost for four units above a shop at the moment of maybe about 120,000, mm. which is the third the cost of a sales price of a new home. So the capacity here, so for example, your 200 million infrastructure grant that was given out to various different sites around uh, Dublin that we won't see any supply for in the next three years would fund the conversion of 4,000 apartments in Dublin mm. city centre. Marion, it does seem like a fair point, doesn't it? I mean, 198,000 vacant units, why aren't we using these? I would, um, I, I strongly doubt that we have 198,000 vacant units and we have been raising this issue for five years. At the time the last census came out, they, the statistic came of 200,000 vacant units in the country. So we did a little delving into how that was calculated and we put forward a case that in most instances a house was deemed to be vacant if the the um, person collecting the census could not um, gain access. Now there are several other much more intelligent ways to find out whether a house is occupied. For example, is there electricity? Is there is there sky? Is there UPC connected to the property? And we suggested all of these things should be do- done so we can get a clear picture so what of stock. It's, it's very hard to know because we don't have good oh. statistics. Okay, well, let's say it's half. Let's say it's half that, 100,000. Yeah, and, that, and, and, that, and, and therefore, if there is that quantity, then we should obviously be addressing And that is a solution. Mm. I do agree with exactly what Mel said. I think that all makes great sense. We do seem to have very challenging um, um, uh, uh, problems around access and fire um, um, legislation in relation to those buildings, which we, obviously, if that can be overcome in other um, yeah. in other locations, it can be overcome in Ireland. But the problem with that figure of the hundred ninety thousand is that was given to us in two thousand eleven, and we were told there will be no housing crisis. There's two hundred thousand vacant units in Ireland, and therefore we're never going to have a housing crisis. And, and we, we knew it. there would. Yeah, um, Mel, are we in bubble territory again? Well, we're, we're certainly along the cycle here. I mean, anyone, we were just chatting about this before we started, anybody who's involved in the business, either agents or uh, architects or builders, the first question we're asked, we ask each other is, how long will it last? So, you know, the, the, the property market has always been cyclical and to sort of think that in some way we can make it uncyclical is sort of a bit naive. But I think what we're seeing at the moment is government policies are being introduced at the wrong time for the right things or the right time for the wrong things. And that seems to be uh, accentuating the the normal sort of boom-bust part of it. Like, for example, the the removal of... um, We had a 30% drop-off in rentals uh, from maybe 2011 onwards. And I forget what date it was when the uh, mortgage interest relief was reduced for landlords offset. Was that 
2011? About that, yeah. So around about the same time. So that's one instance where at the same time where you were in a very hard time for most landlords who borrowed heavily, the government decided to put their foot on the neck of the landlord to make things even worse. Um, I think what we're seeing now is, is you know, the measures we're, we're debating about now, no question in my mind that they're inflationary, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, if you're in negative equity, if uh, you're a bank that has, uh, you know, your, your asset value go up in the bank, um, if you're uh, an investor and you have a property, that's all great. If you own your own house, great. The problem is if you're trying to buy your own house or get on the market, you're in trouble because you're seeing these big mm. increases. So the, the rising tide, unfortunately, if you're not uh, floating with it, is, should we be trouble. worried? Are, are we in danger of another property bubble in Ireland? And well, this was a matter of concern for the Oireachtas Committee uh, and, you know, Governor Lane kind of sidestepped it. Well, my biggest worry about this is that the expertise isn't there in the government to tackle this or even quantify it. We know that the, the numbers that the government are putting out here are highly questionable and just are not accurate. And that's why as commentators or people involved in the industry, a lot of things are happening that don't make sense. You know, we shouldn't have these levels of, of increase in land values, uh, in uh, inflation, in rental inflation, if we had 15,000 or close to it. We don't. Uh, in 2012, as a contraindicator, in 2012, there were 695 home bond registrations, and yet we had a much larger level of uh, completions out there. So, you know, the, the numbers, even from the department themselves, don't correlate over a five-year period. And this is a big concern, because if we don't know how good or how bad the market is, we can't actually come up with proper policies that tackle it. And certainly, to my mind, looking at the... Um, the completion figures that we've the accurate, accurate completion figures based on stamp duty transactions and once off commencements you know the refurbishment of existing buildings is the only way forward for the next five years if we're looking at growing our construction sector at 30 or 40 percent a year which is what we're looking at at the moment the wheels are going to fall off the capacity isn't there and we're going to see major problems with quality and uh, and cost okay marion final word to you what's the sherry fitzgerald uh, view on whether we're in bubble territory or not i think we're in a housing crisis again i'm not sure that we're anyway near a bubble if bubble means an over inflated housing market i think if you look at average values around the country they are significantly 40% in most instances, about 38% in Cork below peak level. So we're not at that level. But we do have a housing crisis and saying that a price inflation of which we saw of 1.8% in the quarter is therefore reason to change policy in relation to, to increasing supply, I think would be wrong. Just a very final comment in terms of housing construction activity. Um, I think Mel is absolutely right to say that we didn't build 15,000 units, but we did complete 15,000 units and they did enter the marketplace. So stock ha- available stock has gone up by 15,000. It's just nowhere near enough. The challenge will be now is to actually build 15, 20, 25 and get the construction sector um, geared up to do that. And that will be inflationary. But there's no doubt when you've got a population growing at the pace we have. And remember, even the most bullish forecasts were 100,000 below what we've actually seen in terms of population growth in the last five years. You need to get supply up. Okay, we'll leave it there. This is a topic we'll return to, no doubt, in the future. Uh, Marion Finnegan and Mel Reynolds, thank you for your contributions. We're going to take a short break now. When we return, I'll be talking to Paul Dowling, the Chief Executive of Realm Finance, which this week launched a €200 million fund for commercial property investments. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. 
Now, welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Let me remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes, and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash business. In this part of the show, we'll be talking about commercial property. This week, Realm Finance, a company backed by Irish businessman Richard Barris and US Group Avenue Capital, launched a 200 million euro fund for commercial property investment in Ireland. Joining me in the studio to discuss its plan is Paul Dowling, the chief executive of Realm. Paul, you're very welcome. Thanks, Kieran. Uh, thank you for uh, coming in. Uh, tell us a, a little bit about the genesis of the fund and why you've chosen Irish commercial property. So we all came from backgrounds of uh, property lending, so we accumulated about um, a few grey hairs in the sense that we've uh, about 20 years each property lending experience. And the the key management comprises um, Dave Rennick, uh, who's uh, Chief Risk Officer, Armand Lacco, who's Head of Origination, and myself, who's CEO. And And you're all AIB at some stage. We're all AIB. We've we've worked together on and off for about 10 years. Um, And I suppose we we always, all three of us have specialised in commercial property lending and, and, and property development finance. So... Um, you know, we, we know each other well before we incorporated this company. We work well. We know how each other work, and I think one of the one of the best things is we're all quite good at each other's specialities, um, but but not not as good as as the next guy. So um, we're, we're, I would probably have a an action oriented disposition. Uh, Dave is is probably more strategic. Um, and you know, it makes us sit back and, and, mm. and look a bit long term into the future. And I think the best thing about Armand is he just doesn't let anything go, um, and, and, okay. and that's and that's that's a that's a virtue in itself. So tell us a little bit about how Richard Barris became involved, and also Avenue Capital, who are based in New York. So when when myself and, and Dave left AIB. Um, just, just, just for for the record, AIB were, were very good to me. They 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 have a very dynamic culture there. Um, there was no real push factors on that side. Um, I just suppose, speaking for myself, um, I just wanted to probably push myself a little bit harder. And um, so, uh, when you leave a bank uh, with a big balance sheet and you you go out on your own without a balance sheet, that, that brings its own pressures with mm. you, which which is what I wanted. Um, so for me, it was just a case of you only live once. Um, Dave Rennick uh, w- uh, agreed, and um, we, 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 talked, we talked a little bit about what we would do. Um, in, out of the blue, uh, we got a call from Richard Barris just as a, you know, as a how you do, and nothing, nothing um, specific, and um, asked were, were we doing anything, and uh, the conversation was with Dave, and, and said, well, funny you mentioned that, uh, we were we were actually thinking about about making a move, so literally within uh, within two weeks, we had uh, m- we had resigned from AIB and moved to Richard Barrett's uh, company, which is Bartra, to set up a debt arrangement company which um, would provide exclusive debt arrangement to the Barter Group, but would also provide debt arrangement services to third-party clients. So um, within about three or four months, Armand followed us over. And um, so we, we set about wearing the shoe leather down to the, down to the soles uh, for about three months. Uh, it was tough enough going. But it's, 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 very, it's, it's the Irish market. So w- once you get a deal under your belt, you start to get some traction. Well, when, did this, when did you devise this model and then how did um, Avenue Capital come, up, come on board? Because I presume that's where the money's coming from, the 200 million that's in the fund. So the, the property lending platform, as, as we have it now with, with 200 million backed by Avenue Capital, is, um, was kind of organic. So we started off in the debt arrangement business, and then, you know, we, we just looked looked about. Well, how about if we have our own balance sheet to lend? 
Um, so we did an awful lot of research on that. Uh, we're, we're fairly, we're, we're kind of risk guys, you know, so we're debt guys, we're, we're not equity guys. And then we went about um, putting a plan in motion and we went on a fundraise uh, around London um, and uh, New and York. And London Avenue, obviously. So yeah. tell us a little bit about the nuts and bolts of this then. How much can people borrow over what time frame? What kind of interest rate are they going to pay? So um, it's it's look it's it's we're, we're trying to build a, a positive customer experience. It's it's a customer focused with speed and certainty of ex- execution. So one of the one of the big things we're trying to do is is, is provide uh, flexibility. Um, in terms of of, of the the parameters, uh, we're we're all of Ireland. We're lending on debt from one million up to roughly twenty five million, but it's one million upwards. We're lending on all commercial property, in, including buy-to-let, residential. Um, we're, we're lending on hospitality, so you don't necessarily need to have a lease. It could be a hotel or a pub or a trading entity, such as student accommodation, where there might be, say, a management agreement. We're doing offices and retail and, and, and shopping centres and things like that. So we do the, we do up to five-year terms. Um, we're uh, non-recourse, so we lend we lend on the assets. We lend to Irish companies. So there's and, no personal the guarantees. Asset. There's no personal guarantees at all, um, and and that was both a market decision and and a and a, a team decision, uh, and and it's it's personal to our team in the sense that we just thought it it, it slightly blurred your lending when you're looking at the asset. If you have a high net worth it behind it, and you you want to go a little bit up the risk curve, due to due to a, a certified net worth statement, um, that we just thought that wasn't. For for us, so yeah. and, and and to be honest, the, the market, um, you know, I, I'd say we would struggle to deploy a personal recourse in the market, but but maybe not. Yeah, well, of course, PGs were a feature uh, before the crash, and so we spent four years unwinding those. And, yeah, and sure. In distress, in distress Don't get road again. Yeah. So, yeah. what kind of interest rates then can people expect us to pay? Because I suppose that's what will uh, make or break this model. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with you. Um, I, I think, um, I, I, and, and, and I'm not dodging the question. I'll, I'll tell you straight up, but but. Um, you know, I, I think if you if you look at um, if you look at some banks, they're they're fairly agnostic in terms of uh, risk and return. So, um, uh, you know, if if you deliver a good service and a good customer service, people are prepared to to, to pay more, and, that, and that's been exemplified in the Irish market and in pretty much any any market sector. So, um, on, in terms of um, what you really want to know is, is is how much do we charge mm. and. So we our margin is going to average between six and eight percent. So if it's an extremely if it's extremely high risk, but it's still good enough from a risk point of view to do, you're 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 at the upper end of that. And uh, and if it's a lower risk averse proposition, um, and it is a cliche that it's a case by case basis, but 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 it's a cliche for a reason. Um, you're 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 down down lower far 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 lower that, that that curve you know right okay is there an arrangement fee or any other fees involved in this yeah there's there's an arrangement fee um there's an arrangement fee in in in, in any alternative funder and in any financial institution mm. that they charge so so we charge an arrangement fee too um so why would somebody choose to go to realm to seek finance rather than going to one of the banks so what what we've got is we've got a a, a marketplace platform and an app. Um, so first off, we're not a we're not a bank. Okay, so we don't have a myriad of products. We don't do derivatives. We don't have structure finance, etc. And we don't take deposits. So we're highly specialist in the product that we're focusing on lending on. Um, so so what what does that give you? It, it gives you a, a speed of decision and it gives you certainty of execution. Um, we've all sat 
individually as a senior team on, on hundreds of credit committees. So we, we've, and we've done hundreds of loans ourselves in, in previous careers. So we know the pit stops and the, pits and, and the pitfalls that happen. And we know the nuances that go on in, in most property deals because we've, chances are we've seen them before. Mm. So you're going to get drawdown extremely quickly with us. We have a very small panel. Well, you're talking, um, you'll, you'll get a decision within four to five working days. And thereafter, uh, we have a small panel of legal firms that we have lined up and are, who are also on the platform on, on what we call our administrative interface, where by, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of business there yeah. for them. So No, you're not regulated. I mean, that might concern some people. At least the banks are <laughs> regulated. So, yeah. you know, there are some checks and balances in place. Well, they're, they're, we're not regulated um, because, look, put it this way, if there was a requirement for us to be regulated, we would be. Um, we're, we're set up with a strong enough reference to the SME code and we're fully compliant with all legislation. We have to do returns to the central bank on the company's total assets and liabilities. There are other returns needed on derivatives and deposits, which, which, which don't apply to us. But we also have a requirement to submit annual profit and loss information. So there is oversight there. Mm. But if somebody gets into default, and this is a situation we've uh, seen over the past decade or so, um, what happens then? What comfort do people have that they'll be treated fairly, that you won't simply move in and decide to uh, seize the asset? Well, we're, you, you cut that proposition day one. So you don't do a high-risk loan and let it go on until something goes wrong. So, so for example, uh, we're looking at a couple of propositions at the moment where uh, the lease length is shorter than the loan term requested, right? And what we've actually decided to do is to take um, a certain amount from the loan or from the uh, customer uh, and put it on deposit and say, look, we know that there's going to be a break here in year three. This will give you six months to, to let it, okay? So so it, NPLs are not in our interest. Um, so we have to be uh, both Realm Finance Avenue, Richard Barrett, and 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 our, our ultimate customers have to be aligned in their business, business objectives. So I would say... Um, that you, you you cut that cloth at the beginning. Mm, you you, okay. you don't wait for it to to, to deteriorate. You've got to re- react quickly. And so you've th- done about thirty million in loans so far yeah. already from your soft launch. Uh, how long uh, before you deploy the full two hundred? We're hoping twelve to fifteen months. Uh, there's been a, a hell of a lot of reaction. Um, the, the soft we we, we, we got the thirty million uh, through what we call a, a soft launch to demonstrate traction, and that was important for us to demonstrate that there was actually a good market opportunity there. But um, we 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 would we would hope that twelve to fifteen months would be sufficient to deploy it. Right, and finally, you're somebody who's looking closely at the commercial uh, property market in Ireland across all its uh, all its asset classes. And we have Brexit coming down the tracks and yeah. a lot of talk of relocations to Ireland by firms that are based in the UK and maybe international firms looking to move their European head office, uh, etc. How much business do you think we're going to win as a result of Brexit on the commercial property side? I, I don't think you can isolate that in terms of commercial property. I think there are, uh, um, I, I, I certainly um, have, I suppose, anecdotal knowledge of of a number of institutions looking to relocate in, in Ireland Um you know, I, we're not talking f- five thousand people for for so each many institution. Jobs do you think we but might get? It could be close to um, it could be close to about a thousand. 
And if, if, if you look purely at the commercial, commercial property space, you will see an awful lot of stock being built, particularly in the docklands, okay? So I actually think that that's not going to be an issue to accommodate those. The question is where they're going to live. Yeah. Okay, any thoughts on that? Because we have a high housing crisis. <laughs> <laughs> any, any thoughts on how we might uh, solve that problem? When I put my old um, development hat on... Um, that's that's a really difficult one. Um, I, the, the 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 help to buy scheme came out. It's a bit little bit early to to tell um, how how that's going to work. I, I'm not aware of the, the 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 granularity of it, but I think uh, Pierce Doherty would probably has a point um, in in what he mm. made yesterday. He's called for it to be suspended, doesn't he? He's, he's called for it to be suspended. Mm. Um, but I think I think um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong because I, I could be wrong about this is that there's a cap of uh, 500 grand and, and then there's another cap of 600 grand from July to December. And that's all fine and well if you're in Dublin or Cork. But um, as Pierce rightly points out, if you're in Donegal, it's, it's, it, 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 it makes it, you know, a little bit dysfunctional. Yeah. Um, so but what people are worried about is that we might be inflating another bubble. There might be another property bubble on the way being created in Ireland, something that might replicate what we had before. Yeah. Are you concerned with that? Because office prices, for example, rents on new builds offices uh, are back at peak levels. They're 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 at around sixty euros a square foot, and they're going to be a function of the market. So the more supply that comes on the market, you know, the more stable those prices get. In terms of um, in terms of land, that is an issue because there is such a paucity of land with planning permission, and it takes a considerable amount of time for zone land to get through the planning process, and there's an element of risk to it. So that, that is actually a CFD. There is a marginal call on the land price, and if you get that wrong, you, you kind of have to build houses and, and price them at a certain point. And, and, and to be honest with you, contrary to, to popular belief, now, I've done enough development loans to know that developers' profit margins in terms of a residential development are, are, are in the low double digits. Right, okay. So bubble, yes or no? Perhaps. Right, okay. <laughs> well, we wish Realm Finance uh, all the very best. Thanks for coming in, Paul. Uh, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Marion Finnegan, Mel Reynolds and Paul Dowling. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as the sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today. Email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. <laughs> <laughs> 